Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Plant Services Toolbelt Podcast. I'm Tom Wilk, Chief Editor of Plant Services, and today I'm speaking with Per Hong, who is a partner at Kearney. Now, Per is focused on strategic operations, and he's also the lead partner for the company's relationship with the World Economic Forum. In July, Kearney and the World Economic Forum released a report titled The Resiliency Compass, Navigating Global Value Chain Disruption in an Age of Uncertainty. And in this report, um, suggests that plant teams, as well as the rest of us who don't work in plants, uh, will be facing disruptions as a matter of course over the next decade. So if you're not prepared for the next major disruption, you probably should be thinking about what to do when that comes along. Here's my conversation with Per. Welcome, Per, to the Tool Belt Podcast for Plant Services. Uh, uh, well, thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, we're talking with you today uh, thanks to a report that was released by Kearney, and you're working for Kearney right now as Managing Director and Partner for Strategic Operations, and also you're the lead for the World Economic Forum relationship. And the World Economic Forum with Kearney has developed this report called the Resiliency Compass, Navigating Global Value Chain Disruption in an Age of Uncertainty. And let me tell you, our listeners have been experiencing this like crazy. Um, no one anymore knows what lead times will be for spare parts. It's getting tough to plan work in general. So tell us about the report. How did it come about and, and what are some of the findings that you find most compelling? Uh, absolutely, Tom. And thanks, thanks again for having, uh, for having us and being able to give me an opportunity to be able to share some of our findings. Um, you know, as you sort of intimated in, in your introduction, you know, I, I have a 25-year career uh, working with clients across a range of industries, helping them navigate um, disruption in their global supply chains mm -hmm. and helping build long-term strategic advantage. Um, you know, we're, we're all coming out of it over the last 18 months. And I say coming out of, we may still be, you know, in it, you know, in certain periods. Uh, what, what certainly has been the largest global supply chain disruption we've seen, you know, in, within COVID, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and at the same time, we, we also see, and, and I think we're experiencing, you know, a, a convergence, a confluence of other disruptive forces, uh, whether that be climate change and some of the weather patterns and dislocation of of supply and resources that's happening, technology and new techno new technological forces that are coming in, some of the trade barriers, you know, so raging, you know, so you know, cyber threats, uh, global tensions, you know, surging demand from kind of a fragmented reopening of the global economy, all of which are intersecting in new and different and challenging ways um, that are radically reshaping global production. Uh, manufacturing supply chains and forcing companies to step back and reassess and redesign their strategies in order to build resilience, resilience at the core. And in many ways, I think COVID-19, while uh, so many of us have adapted and adapted to the challenges that have, that have been provided, the underlying premise for some of the research we're kicking off and uh, the findings that we've been able to pull through the work that we've been doing in partnership with the World Economic Forum, you know, as Carney, is, is that the pandemic in many ways is but a dress rehearsal for larger and more frequent, greater levels of disruption that are continuing to happen and will continue to happen uh, going forward. Uh, and, and I, you know, certainly believe this very much to be the case. 
that the next generation of supply chain leaders, you know, manufacturing and operation leaders will be defined by our ability to withstand and adapt to these ever increasing disruptive headwinds. Whereas the last 10, 15, 20 years was an environment which really was defined by cost competitiveness, a push to the lowest common denominator in order to optimize supply chains at the core. What, the, what our experiences over the last 18 months and what we're observing on the horizon going forward is that the next uh, 10, 15 years of supply chain excellence will be defined by finding that balance between risk competitiveness and cost competitiveness in order to be able to ensure the reliability, the adaptability, and the resilience of our supply chains and our manufacturing systems going forward. That's fascinating because our readers, uh, their key goal uh, in maintenance and reliability is to reduce the risk to their immediate facilities by maintaining the assets and operating condition, whether that means predicting imminent failure, whether that means letting certain parts run to failure since it won't cause a catastrophic failure. So I can see where the interests um, that you have in global resilience and the interests of reliability and maintenance in risk management are going to converge here pretty quickly. For, for sure. Now, resilience is a big topic. And, right. you know, when we talk about and we think about disruptions coming from multiple sources, you know, we, I mean, we are still dealing with the implications and ramifications of the pandemic itself that has implications ranging everywhere from uh, the availability of raw materials and commodities and, and sources, uh, mm -hmm. different uh, impacts globally across the global systems to, to labor and labor dislocation at the other end where you know, trying to get uh, operators on the lines, drivers in, inside trucks in order to be able to make sure that we can get product you know, mm -hmm. to, to the last mile. So being able to navigate through that, we wanted to be able to take uh, a more holistic view to what it means to be resilient uh, you know, in, in our supply chains. And so uh, through this, uh, at the beginning part of this year, we engaged uh, and surveyed um, uh, close to 400 uh, different senior or senior executives from uh, over 400 different companies. Okay. Um, to try and understand what, one, what, what, how they think about resilience, but two, to start to get under the skin of what are some of the strategies that have been deployed, but how can we think about going forward kind of with a, with a future range view uh, in order to be able to manage that um, or, or can, can be managed. Uh, so we, um, we collected insights, uh, you know, from, from all, all the executives that I described, those observations from those discussions, from the data that we collected helped us uh, really think through and codify the, the, the leading practices, some of the action-oriented strategies to help that companies are employing to manage the disruption and to build resilience uh, in their global manufacturing systems going forward. So it was really underpinned by what, what challenges have you been facing? How well-prepared do you feel um, in anticipating, to, to anticipate future disruptions? What are some of the novel and new strategies that, that you're looking at. In order to define that, um, we looked at eight 
different dimensions of what we call resilience excellence. And maybe it's worth kind of for, for your listeners and for the readers, just to kind of, if, if I may, maybe I can talk oh, about what, what, yeah. what, what that is. Because we looked at this both from, you know, as we think about the, the disloc- resilience is that finding that balance between demand and supply. And so we looked at this both from a uh, demand uh, set of drivers as well as a supply set of drivers and how those pieces need to start to meet. And so um, on the demand side, uh, there were four dimensions around product, you know, portfolio excellence, really focusing on availability through active uh, portfolio management. So deploying strategies around simplification, modularization, really focusing on making sure the core product was was being delivered and how I moved through that and and what are some of the strategies to do that. Uh, Secondly, around uh, really understanding the customer and the orientation uh, and the strategies that that companies were deploying in order to ensure proximity and focus on on meeting their customer demand. Uh, Thirdly, around viability of their financials. So having financial health across the end-to-end value chain, not just within companies, but also tier one, tier two suppliers that are so dependent on what we're doing, as well as what we've seen through and what we've experienced going through this pandemic is a shift uh, in channels as well. And so the versatility to be able to meet demand in new and different ways, whether that be through uh, the, the emergence of the internet and different e-commerce channels or through alternative means in order to be able to live that. Mm-hmm. But equally, we have an operations and a supply-driven resilience that's required in order to be able to meet those, those challenges that are facing us from the demand point of view. Um, so the ability to be able to really rapidly sense supply and demand shifts and pivot accordingly. So deploying ad- advanced planning tools around, you know, AI, AR, thinking through some of the other technology uh, capabilities that we we have available and co- and leading companies are using to to the extent in order to be able to anticipate many of these changes and mm-hmm. develop scenarios, think through contingency planning, and fundamentally different ways uh, and through different capabilities than they they certainly have had opportunity to do so previously. Uh, From a supply point of view, secondly, thinking through the supplier network and managing diverse and redundant sources of supply um, to be able to ensure that there's continuity with backup suppliers. So, you know, not putting all of our eggs in one basket, but also geographic diversity. Um, You know, there is a lot in uh, the press, many of the strategies around thinking about bringing um, near shoring of production, for example, and bringing production closer to the customer and technologies that allow us to do that. But of course, that needs to be balanced with the right level of cost availability and some of the resource pieces and trying to find that. Um, thirdly, from an inside the four walls, manufacturing adaptability point of view, you know, strategies around how to design the production network with real resiliency in mind in terms of platforms, adaptability, moving, moving different things around. And finally, around logistics, flexibility, and the visibility across inventory planning uh, and being able to think about last mile and, and those adaptabilities. We, um, we surveyed 
and looked across all eight of those dimensions on the demand and, and supply chain side. And you know, through the, the work and the analysis helped identifying one of the, the key findings out of the reports, or if you've had a chance to read it, is uh, that you know, only 12% of our, survey of our survey respondents or those individuals or companies that we, we, we've identified, we identified as leaders in supply chain resilience. Those that are really positioned to be able to one anticipate where future disruption can come from, have the strategies and the capabilities in place in order to be able to rapidly adapt to those disruptions, to be able to pivot and meet those, and thirdly ensure the sustainability. Uh, and and that for us was very surprising. You know, twelve percent of companies that are prepared for the next disruption, you know, in a meaningful way means that it really indicates that there's a lot that we can learn from those 12% in terms of what they're doing, mm-hmm. as well as opportunities for us to think through inside each of our plants and our facilities and, and the organizations in which we're operating, what are the strategies that we, we can be knowing full well that there is disruption that's going to continue to happen. We're seeing it daily. And whether that is a cyber attack that's occurring on the pipeline on the East Coast, mm-hmm. whether that is, you know, uh, the heat wave that we're being played with in the West Coast right now, or the resurgence of the Delta variant, all, you know, all these factors are occurring and will continue to occur. And so it isn't a question of whether or if we will be disrupted, but when and by how big. And so right. then it's incumbent on us as leaders in the industry that really think through how are we going to make sure we're prepared for that? that and that 12% number really caught my attention when reading the report. And then again, as you put it against the backdrop of saying that in a way, the COVID pandemic was a dress rehearsal for the kind of things you're talking about. That's really attention getting. Uh, in, in a country the size of the United States, again, most of our listeners are inside the U.S. Uh, we're geographically diverse enough that, as you said, there are any, any number of different catastrophes can happen at the same time in different regions. Uh, and only 12% of the companies are, are in the position of being leaders to adapt to those, those changes effectively. Absolutely. And, you know, even inside the U.S., we're not insulated from disruptions that are happening outside our own borders. You know, as we still need, you know, raw materials are, are sourced, I know products are produced. And so there is you know, the dislocation of supply and the, the resurgence of the demand that we're seeing everywhere, you know, on a global basis has direct impact for us here in our country that we need to be able to manage and be able to prepare for. Interesting. You know, about 18, 24 months ago, we did a couple of stories on resiliency in the context of cyber attacks or even with oh. drone attacks. And it, it seems almost quaint now that there was a, a physical drone attack in Saudi uh, in the fall of 2019, where you actually had physical drones coming in and disrupting operations. Um, amazingly, that uh, refinery was up within one month back to regular capacity, which astonishes me. And, and there was a lot of talk in my industry here about how resilient that facility must have been to recover in a month and get production back up to normal. Um, so, you know, I, our readers are, are used to hearing this term, especially in terms of those kind of attacks and the cyber attacks, where, where um, a lot of maintenance and reliability folks do have a certain authority over the servers that may have to get rebuilt or even even uh, if they can't be rebuilt, 
have influence over whether ransom gets paid. Um, you've talked about resilience as something much larger than that, for sure. Do you see um, those cyber attacks as being particularly a point of focus going forward in the way less random than say a weather event or a pandemic where this is something which companies absolutely should be able to prepare for? Short, short answer, Tom, is yes. yes. Okay. Uh, yes, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna build on it. Um, we know disruption, you know, the, there is disruptions that are happening, you know, at, at multiple levels, cyber and cyber attacks, which we have been seeing, you know, in a number of very visible demonstrated examples, even in the last six months, Tom, there was the, uh, the attack on the East Coast pipeline, right. the colonial pipeline that I referenced, the solar winds attack at the end of last year, which targeted nearly 80% of our you know, Fortune 500 companies that are headquartered here were sort of impacted either directly or indirectly by some of the, the cases there. The technology is becoming uh, more pervasive. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I won't make any commentary on you know, bad actors that are in the place, but you know, opportunities that are being observed um, and, and, and advantages that are being taken uh, by finding weaknesses, you know, in the systems and the technologies that exist, that, yeah, this is, yes, this is becoming more pervasive. The attacks are becoming larger. Mm -hmm. And as companies, they are, they are actions that we can take. And, you know, knowing that, absolutely, it is incumbent on us as, as and certainly what we see is, you know, senior executives also, you know, have indicated, um, that you know, driving these these strategies, putting the investment in place in order to pursue that long-term resilience, to be able to prepare for those future disruptions, you know, that's that that's that's at kind of at the core of what we're trying. What certainly some of the key themes that we we saw coming out of our research and the conversations that we've had been having, as you know, coming out of this research with other. You know, chief executive officers and, and other operating officers and, and leaders in manufacturing that we've been having. Mm -hmm. um, the, the threat from cyber is real. It's okay. happening. But it's not, you know, the threat to global supply uh, is not isolated just to cyber. You know, it's okay. also occurring, you know, from climate. You know, we, we do see the weather disruptions. And while it is maybe less predictable uh, where where it's going to be happening, it is predictably unpredictable you know so while no one knows for sure what the future holds and there's lots of uncertainty leaders um and and the the companies that have really taken action in order to be able to put strategies in place are are take are, are identifying uh, opportunities in order to be able to for that in fact we saw nearly three quarters um of are of senior executives that we've spoken to, you know, lead of the leaders, the, the companies that we've identified and started to work through as leaders, at least mm -hmm. cite the importance of scenario planning to be able to inform decisions, help develop and focus clear strategies, plan for these contingencies and maintain some of the flexibility to be able to account for these different twists and turns that might happen because I'm all of a sudden, uh, 
you know, the, the componentry and raw materials that I was depending from one supplier are in short supply. So I have to go to the backup sources of supply in order to be able to, to get that. Um, okay. And so the, you know, the, the, the other buzzword certainly that was in, in the industry for, you know, has been in the industry for a long time is this notion of agility, agility and adaptability. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of the differentiator for, for uh, you know, supply chains. What I think we've experienced and are continuing to experience now and will, you know, and, and anticipate will be experiencing going forward is the, the need to be able to continue to you know, adapt that across the value chain. And that impacts us inside our four walls of manufacturing, but are you going to be able to secure inventory and raw materials for, for you know, work in process materials or an ability to be able to get containers and ships to be able to live this end consumer impacts us inside our plants as well. Right. So it, it's, it's happening at every step of the, the entire value chain. Well, and you're talking to an audience, which interestingly, uh, the maintenance tech, the reliability engineers, they're, one of their areas of core competence is that they'll figure out the solution given the resources at hand. Um, 100%, right? Yeah, it, it's a very agile audience. And sometimes I think they think they're the last to know about developments. And sometimes I think they're dead on about that. Um, but no matter what they know, uh, coming down the pipeline, it's, they're, they're very attuned to doing the job with what's on hand and then figuring out how to be agile and procure those parts, whether it's 3D printing, whether it's online resourcing. As you said, the internet's really changed a lot of the ways people can source parts. Um, so when it comes to champions of resilience, I can see where some might be coming from this sector, maybe it's reliability. Did you see a pattern in your research identifying where internal champions for resilience might come from to help drive this among those 12% of leaders, or is it sort of all across the board throughout the company? You know, the, the champions for resilience, um, the, the, the individuals inside the companies that are really feeling it on the front lines and have had, you know, the, the individuals who really had to adapt and change the ways of working are the ones that are the biggest champions and proponents for driving resilience and resilience strategies going forward. Mm-hmm. And so that is, um, the uh, global global heads of supply chains, the directors of manufacturing, um, our chief operating officers. Those are the individuals uh, that uh, really both feel the 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 core, you know, and, and and observe and anticipate the risks associated to supply, you know, from mm-hmm. demand in fundamentally different ways than other individuals within the within a corporate ecosystem necessarily feel. So our champions of resilience definitely are, you know, kind of that audience of, of focused individuals. Okay. And I know increasingly we see maintenance being either restructured or repositioned under operations. So there's a lot of contact with the uh, with the COO in that regard. Um, right. Yeah. Well, and, and, we've, and, and we've seen that too, actually the, a big shift towards kind of that operating kind of holistic view of kind of managing that end to end in order to be able to secure resilience because there's so many required. So maintenance being, you know, a part of a broader system rather than being managed as a functional, you know, within a, within a functional silo. Right. Right. And there, there's, there's been a push to see maintenance as uh, not a profit driver exactly, but as not a cost center to take them from their siloed, position and work them into a place where you can see what the impact of reliability is in the bottom line, where they're going to help drive some profit. 
and yeah. uh, get a return on on the on the technology investments and maintenance reliability. That's right. Yeah, that's well, right. Well, you know, th- this will be the last question for us, and it, it it touches on the skills gap that industry is currently facing. Been facing for a while, especially due to retirements. You know, you've got a you've got a generation which is retiring with a lot of uh, tribal knowledge, certainly, but also uh, uh, translatable skills across assets. Um, one of the strategies that's emerging is that facilities, sometimes whole companies, are now more comfortable contracting outside the immediate facility and bringing on a third-party partner uh, for either part-time maintenance services, occasionally full-time maintenance services. Um, a lot of OEMs are designing equipment that they consider to be so complex that they themselves insist on taking on the maintenance responsibility and build that into the price of the asset. So you're seeing more of a willingness than even five years ago for traditional maintenance teams, reliability teams, to look outside the four walls of the company and partner to get the work done. And that's a backdrop to the question about an organization you mentioned in your report, which is the Platform for Advanced Manufacturing and Production. Uh, it sounds like a group that's been either either, either uh, formed or is emerging from your research, which can, which can help plants uh, in the same way that these teams are getting help from other third parties, that this organization can help plants with resiliency challenges too. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that group and, and, and their role in this. Yes. Uh, and, and there's, you've touched on a couple of, um, you know, certainly a- aspects around uh, and the, the critical dimension. And we, we often talk about technology and the importance and, and the drive inside of our plants, but at the core, you know, we, we do have, and we are faced with, you know, a, a labor challenge Mm-hmm. at the core of this as well. And you were, you were making reference to that. And maybe I, if you, you'll let me um, sort of also opine on this a, a little bit, Tom. Sure. Um, you know, the, uh, the leaders, you know, in, in you know, towards re- around resiliency, particularly inside the four walls, you know, have one identified opportunity to really build a multi-skilled adaptable workforce. So taking your, your workforce and you're starting to reference, you know, one, to avoid some of the, the labor shortages, but also by using the skills and backgrounds and fully utilizing all of our employees from different functions to be able to cover absenteeisms, to be able to you know, drive more flexibility in the labor pool, to kind of adapt to the challenges that we've seen and some of those pieces, um, which I, I think has a, value, has a benefit, not only just to optimize the labor, but also to start to share capabilities and develop labor that offers really a unique opportunity to expose employees to different situations and challenges and to be able to share that. But mm-hmm. there's also the, the notion of pooling resources and outsource, you, you were talking about sort of working with third parties right. to be thinking about um, our labor pool more within the system that's required in order to be able to deliver, you know, the product rather than just the, the specific company in which I'm, I'm operating. Right. So uh, being able to react to changing demand patterns, particularly in labor intensive industries, while still, you know, driving some of the flexibility and meeting you know, peak, peak demand has, has led to some of the strategies that you're referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, the group uh, that you referenced, you know, our platform of advanced manufacturing and supply systems, that is um, a collection, you know, a, a of companies, you know, under, you know, 
with the, the World Economic Forum that are partnering together uh, precisely to share in a pre-competitive environment, right? So not, not sharing competitive practices, but, able, but to be able to share and um, talk about some of the strategies, these issues that we're talking about today across the range of resiliency uh, and being able to partner with others who are going through similar challenges and identify what are the opportunities to be able to both have the support knowing that others are going through these same challenges and what are some of the, 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 the strategies we can employ, but also to be able to learn from one another and to be able to employ some leading practices in order to be able to manage that going forward. Okay. So this is a, it is a group of, it's a group of companies. Um, that have, that have come together, you know, within within the events platform, there's probably close to 400, 500 companies that, you know, actively participate um, with the World Economic Forum. And if your readers are interested in more information about that and what it, what that entails, um, certainly they're happy to reach out to, to us and our firm or to the World Economic Forum, uh, who'd be able, more than happy to talk and share more information about how to get involved and get engaged with the advanced manufacturing platform. Terrific. We'll put that information in the podcast notes area for sure, Perrin, and uh, both to links to the Kearney and to the World Economic Forum. Um, yeah, fantastic. That's great. Yeah, um, fantastic. Yeah, and just thinking too that uh, with, with, um, with what you were talking about, the, the, this outreach, I mean, uh, on the side of maintenance, we're, uh, plant services as a, as a brand is focusing tightly on how to have the kind of conversations you're talking about, uh, where you don't have to, where the maintenance teams don't have to be the traditional sort of rescue when something breaks teams. And, they, and people are, we're trying to encourage a shift into more proactive thinking, reaching out and, and building response plans. Yeah, yeah, because, because traditionally, you know, we're, we are, our maintenance teams, we're inside the four walls. We're, we're always dependent on to react when things go wrong. And mm -hmm. uh, similarly, taking this even broader within, you know, securing inventory or thinking about the disruptions, you know, we're, we're, we're reacting, you know, to a lot of crises that are happening, you know, across the world, you know, you know, as a result of all these crises that are happening inside the four walls to the extent that, uh, from a maintenance services point of view and from a plant services point of view, understanding the strategies and how that fits within the broader global ecosystem so that we can be more proactive in anticipating those challenges, putting the contingencies in place, anticipating where those potential shutdowns, where labor shortages could be happening so that we can put, you know, to ensure that there's more effective utilization of our assets, you know, and most importantly, um, you know, there's, you know, the, the dislocation is is a lot of it driven because we're we're seeing resurgent uh, we're seeing resurgent demand. You know, the the latest uh, economic report was released this morning. I, I don't know if you had a chance to see that, Tom, but we saw a I have US, not, not yet. U.S. economy that was showing year over year uh, growth of over six percent. Uh, so huh. we're seeing demand, you know, back on the rise. The U.S. economy. Know, is you know in a much better situation than the rest of the world, which is still dealing with many of these pieces. But those challenges for us to be able to capture that, this is an opportunity mm -hmm. that you know if we don't have the ability to be able to pivot to meet the need and to be able to ensure we've got the right resiliency, all, you know, as we've seen that that all can turn on a dime very quickly 
right. with, the, with the next crisis. So how do we learn from what we've just experienced to make sure that we're, we're best prepared wherever that uncertainty may come from? Because <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't look at the crystal ball and predict it, but I, I yeah. can't say with certainty that there will be uncertainty. You're making me think that over the next two years at maintenance conferences, instead of war stories about an asset that went down and got repaired, it's going to be war stories about, well, I survived Hurricane Sandy. Well, I survived right. locusts invading. Well, I, I survived, I, I survived the, the cyber attack. I, I survived. Right. Exactly right. Uh, well, Per, thank you for being with us today. And uh, uh, we really appreciate your view on not just uh, the global value chain, but uh, against the backdrop of really at this point, anything can happen and will. <laughs> now, my, my pleasure, Tom. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you and wish you all the luck. And to all your listeners and your readers, maybe the top, top, line, top line message for all of us is we've got, um, you know, there, there is uncertainty and there almost certainly will be disruption. But we have the tools, the capabilities through the technology and our ability to be able, as we've seen, to be able to withstand that, mm -hmm. uh, learn from it, and to be able to be better and stronger uh, going forward. Well, fantastic. Once again, yeah, thank you for being here, Pear. No, my, my pleasure. Thank you so much,